businesses go through evolutions or stages. They go from being a, a startup to a small business to a medium business. And at each point, there are investments that you need to make in systems, people, processes. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Jason Sims, one of the founders and directors of BlackBook.ai. BlackBook is an Australian company that is passionate about helping organisations unlock their true value with artificial intelligence, automation and data analytics. BlackBook was founded in 2017 and today has a team of approximately 200 people. Hi Jason, welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast and thank you for joining us today. Hi Rick, great to be here. Great, thank you. Just to kick things off, could you tell us a bit of the background of BlackBook and specifically what's the change you want to make or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver and who do you hope to help? The, the business was founded, as you said, back in 2017. A colleague and I who were working for another business thought there may have been something in automation. We'd both been with the old business for, for a little while, probably ready for a change. So we sat around and said, look, let's create a company that does automation. And, and it sounds a bit trite, but that was literally the embryonic stages. Let's give it a crack, Right. So we found a couple of customers that we thought would be sympathetic to our desire to create a, a local tech business. And we hired a couple of people and off we went. One of the real drivers for the business originally was to create a platform for really clever, young Australian tech people to have an opportunity to work in the emerging technology space. Twee, my, my business partner and I have been in the industry for quite a while and, and you, you slowly get frustrated and worn down by the fact that people seem to think they either need to join a multinational or they need to go overseas to do really cool stuff. And so we wanted to create a platform for people that wanted to do really cool stuff and foster their career, but keep those skills uh, and that IP in Australia. When did AI become part of the Black Book story? And really, how did you identify the opportunity to, to drive into AI technology beyond just standard automation? We really did start the company on the back of an automation play. Um, we thought that would be something that would be quite well received, but there was already companies doing automation. So there was already a ready market for it. AI was, it was in the movies, certainly. And there was probably some stuff going on at the fringes in some of the research houses. It was drawn out from customer desires, right? So we, we were probably doing automation for around 12 months, uh, nine to 12 months. And companies would say, that's fantastic. You've automated these processes that are robotic in nature. What more can we do? And uh, that's when intelligent automation and things that are a bit more cognitive start coming to the fore because all of a sudden you're able to automate so many more things inside a business and alleviate those mundane activities off your staff. And that's when AI sort of started to be injected into our business. We formed a, an AI team and, and really quickly we started to spin up some small AI proof of concepts, 
and pilots, largely around computer vision, tended to be the avenue that people were most interested in. And quite quickly, it became evident that without really good data and a fair bit of data and good clean data, AI is a little lacking. So hence the data practice. And I, I, I guess that's almost a reflection of the evolution of the business. We start with one thing and then customers talk to us about something else and we ask ourselves, is this going to deliver on that platform for people to develop and learn and work on really cool stuff? If it is and we can make a buck out of it, then we do it. So as a result, the company is now, as you say, just under 200 strong. There's four main practices within the company. So automation, still the engine room and still where we do a lot of work. Our AI ML practice, so machine learning and artificial intelligence, a data practice, quite a significant data practice. And as a result of people wanting to build front ends, portals, that we've also got a full stack development team. Who do you typically work with? Who's the ideal company and then the people within the company that you are hopefully helping? One of the principles of the company was to always try and work with somebody that was bigger than ourselves, which in the early days was very easy. Uh, as we've gotten a little bit bigger, we've tended to gravitate toward um, those ASX 300 type companies. Generally as well, given automation tends to be our, one of our key platforms of, of uh, market entry. Kind of is turning over probably 100 million plus to obtain some material benefits from the investment in automation. So we've tended to, as I said, work with that ASX 300 and state government level businesses. We still work with smaller companies, obviously, but they tend to get the better value out of the sort of services that we deliver. We'll probably dive into that a little bit more later on. But just to, again, thinking back over the last six, seven years since you started thinking about it and, and then launched Blackbook, uh, I find that as business owners, we often forget to take a moment to celebrate our successes, either individually and, and often, sadly, with our team. We just so get focused on doing the work and delivering the work. We don't take a moment to stop and think about it. Taking a, a historical perspective, what are you most proud of over the last six, seven years of building Blackbook? I'll answer that question by reflecting on my own career, if that's okay. I was an engineer by profession and I was lucky enough to be taken on by telecom, just to give you an idea of how old I am, Telstra now, as a cadet engineer. And it was a wonderful entry into a professional career. And we're doing the same. We're offering grads and people relatively fresh out of university more and more opportunities to enter our business, grow, develop, knowing that they'll stay with us for a few years, develop a range of skills, do a bunch of certifications, become more valuable in the market, and then they move on to other things, right? And I think it's a really humbling thing to do is to take somebody and give them their first big chance, especially in this market where I think people used to think that you had to go overseas or join in a multinational to get that start. So I think for me personally, that's probably one of the more satisfying outcomes of the company today. It's good to understand that background and where you've come from and really what you're proud of. We don't celebrate our wins enough and often the team is, is a key component to that. Given your background, and I assume you started in very technical roles at Telecom, as you said, but today your official title is Director of Sales at Blackbook. I know you're, a, as I said earlier in the intro, you're a founder and director as well. 
But I find, especially given a, a role like sales director in your know, founding position of the business as well, that doesn't really tell us exactly what you do. So could you share with us, what are your top priorities and how do you ensure you remain focused on them every day? Wow, very broad question. We are focused on growth. Uh, my predominant focus day-to-day is to add new logos to our business. I'm pretty proud to say that we're, we're, we've got over 100 uh, different customers, which I think is a, it's, a, it's a nice thing to, to be able to put up on a PowerPoint slide when you're introducing yourself, the, the typical logo slide. So every day I'm always looking at where we think we should be positioning ourselves, either by industry or by business function, to land new logos and introduce that company to the benefits of emerging technology. Do you also have any leadership responsibility as from the management of the the global or the rest of the team, or you're very much your priority is the day-to-day sales and management of the sales team? How does uh, the company no. work from the from yeah. the director leadership level? Early on, we made the decision that my business partner Twee Lamb should adopt the role of CEO. It made a lot of sense to me. He's younger, he's hungrier, he's incredibly bright, and he's well across technology. So he would, was the obvious figurehead. And that left a couple of other business functions that obviously he wouldn't have had uh, scope to do. Sales was one of them. And the other hat I wear is HR. So I tend to look after the HR function. Again, we still have some HR professionals and recruitment team in there that to, to do the actual work. But in terms of setting the direction for HR, that tends to fall with me as well. And that drive of looking at bringing people into the industry, graduates or early graduates, has been something that you positioned the business as early on, or is that something that was adopted further into the piece? Tweed, my business partner and CEO, probably brought that more to the table. We're a Queensland-founded business, and he always used to site uh, QUT is one of the institutions that operate quite heavily in, in the country. And they used to have the, run these ads about six years ago where it would celebrate their graduates going into Japan or to Singapore or these wonderfully romantic places. And he always used to lament the fact, why aren't they um, advertising the fact that we've got somebody in Brisbane doing this kick-ass job having gone through QUT? And, and I think that sort of became that foundation piece about allowing people to celebrate the success of being Australian and being in this technology world inside Australia. Just to go a little bit deeper on your sales responsibility, how much or how do you balance the sales effort actually getting in front of prospects and talking to them and upselling clients versus managing your sales team? So you mentioned you've got pre-sales and account management. So obviously there's a team structure around there. So are you still a very hands-on salesperson meeting and and pitching or are you trying to empower your team to take responsibility to drive it forward? More the latter. I'm probably not the best manager. We've we've tended to target people that are very self-sufficient, self-starting, can run things on their own. I think I probably describe my role as pretty hands-off and maybe just get involved when I think we need to move the guardrails in or, or open them up a little. Great. Let's just go a completely different direction. Despite all the careful planning we do for our businesses, unexpected things always seem to happen. Looking back again over the past six years of building Black Book, I'm curious to know if there was any 
thing that caught you by surprise? Was something that happened that was unexpected? And if so, how did you adjust your business strategy to achieve the success from that opportunity? Good question, Rick. Look, early on in our business, we were fortunate enough to do some work with RACQ, which is a member-based organization, the car assistance, insurance, and subsequently bank service. And early on, they offered to take an equity stake in the company. And at the time, we thought it would be a fantastic idea. We'd have a little bit of capital to allow us to go a little bit harder. We'd only have to give up X percent. It was an amazing brand. We were still pretty small at the time. Having RACQ on the share register, we thought would give us a bit more credibility, especially as we were starting to push into the public sector. So we went ahead with that. All good intentions and everyone had the right idea. And what I think caught us by surprise pretty quickly, I'd say within 12 months, was how misaligned our vision of what this could be compared to what actually transpired. It was good having the brand, no question, but our ability to leverage it into other opportunities, to even leverage our brand even further into RACQ, just didn't work out the way everyone had planned to. It took us about another 12 months to purchase back those shares. So I think that's probably one of the more impactful decisions that we made that didn't quite turn out the way we had originally hoped would. I think that's also the benefit of being quite small and nimble is that you can react. You can see these things quite quickly. It doesn't have to permeate through a large business for it to have an impact. You you can quite quickly notice what has and hasn't worked and take a, a course correction quite quickly. What learnings did you take away from that experience that you would either then apply into bringing on new investors or would recommend listeners consider before they start taking on investors in the same way, so other companies rather than private investment opportunities? I think in hindsight, the nature of the two businesses was really quite different. You had a large mutual organisation that was dictated by member benefit, which, which sets a certain culture and certain set of parameters inside the company versus a young, hungry, nimble business that is desperate for profit and expansion. So I think, I think there's there, there's certainly that different contextual point, which we probably didn't recognise or weren't able to overcome. I don't regret doing it. I, I think you make decisions with the information you have at the time. And I think at the time we thought it was going to be wonderful. And I think we backing out was probably a good decision for both entities. Would we do things differently? Again, I'd press to come up with how we would have back then maybe have restructured the board a little bit. We had myself and Tui and then two of their very great senior executives, their CIO and their CFO as part of the board, maybe an independent person yeah. might have brought a little bit more, I don't know, colour. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the challenge in the relationship that grew over time was a fundamental different directions or attitudes of the beliefs of the business for a different term. Would you have explored that earlier in the piece to have identified that problem or the that break point early? There's no doubt that just bringing on an investor, except there's a huge amount of effort in terms of yeah. workload to do that. So if you could have circumnavigated that either to stop it early or improve the outcome, I'm sure you would have. So again, just for context, do you feel that you could have explored that earlier in the piece to have changed the outcome? 
hindsight's awesome, right? I, I think in hindsight, yeah, we probably should have delved in a little bit deeper, understood the fact that you've got a big organization that has people's careers are built on how they run their own business units and having things imposed on them over the top isn't necessarily going to get cut through. We had some stars in our eyes about how wonderful we were and that they would embrace us with open arms and we'd all go prancing off into the sunset hand in hand. And, and it just didn't turn out that way. We, we probably could have explored it by maybe doing a bit more of a dance commercially beforehand. Like we were very successful in a particular area of the business. So we maybe could have explored that just by commercial arrangements into different areas, but who knows, right? The takeaway for me and for the audience is that it, it's never just about the cash injection. You've got to explore the relationship. And the same way with any client or supplier, that if there's a misalignment of values and direction, then ultimately that be the, the glue that becomes unstuck in the relationship. I think you're right. I think most people who have started the business understand how important cash flow and having the ability to make payroll is. And you do see that lump of money and you think, oh my God, that's going to solve all of our problems. But in actual fact, we'd been bootstrapping the business fairly successfully till then. We'd still been growing. And yeah, the cash was good and it probably allowed us to be a little bit more bold in what we pursued. So you're right. I, th I think be careful of seeing the big dollar bag in front of your eyes and thinking that's the going to be the problem for all ills. Uh, generally, it's not. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate the honesty and openness of that. Again, while I've got you on that sort of direction, there's no question that our valuable learnings, whether it be on implementing a project or in running the business, come from some sort of setback or hardship, that we learn more from our mistakes and challenges than we do from the successes we have. Can you tell us about a story or an adverse event that you have experienced and how that drove to a positive change in Black Book? I think it's the nature of the path that we've chosen being emerging technology that quite often you're introducing solutions to clients that are relatively new. And as a result, and like any technology project, delivery is king, right? Early on, we discounted the need to support our clients with that adoption which has resulted in us quite early on after a couple of projects just kept rolling on and on because our clients just weren't absorbing what we were trying to help them with. We could then overlay inside a client and support them with taking on these projects and, and this new technology into our business. Following from your comment about transformational change, as a service business, and I also run a, a marketing service business, without helping our clients actually see the transformational change and actually be able to make sure it's delivered and in, in drives to their goals, it's it can all be wasted because the best work gets forgotten the next day something happens. So I understand why you had to pivot into making sure that the projects were delivered successfully and leveraged internally. I remember an early project uh, when, I, when I was still an engineer at Telstra and the, the unfortunate thing with most IT projects is that as you get closer and closer to delivery, the things that get squeezed out the back is the testing and the training and the change that tends to fall off the back end. And everyone gets so focused on delivering the tech that the thing that actually is going to allow the person to leverage the tech and bank the benefits 
ends up being pushed out the arse end of the project, which is pretty unfortunate, right? And and probably one of the reasons why tech projects are always seen as these big risk and you know, perpetual money pits that uh, never deliver anything. I think that's also part of the problem with an agile approach that it seems to be a bit of a bottomless, we'll just keep going in sprints and hopefully we'll get to the end of it. And if that end is not defined, you can find yourself down a, a rabbit hole of ongoing projects. To go a slightly different direction, and given your comment about bringing on those graduates or, or, or young staff, a business is fundamentally just a collection of people who work together. But in the context of your sales or, or broadly across the whole team, given your or HR perspective, what processes and tools do you use to motivate and mentor your staff to get the best of your team? And how have these changed as the company's grown from obviously being quite a small company when you first started to now with over 200 people, the layer of management and mentorship is completely different to when you were 10 or 15 people? I hate hierarchy, but at the end of the day, when you start getting teams of people, you do need to put the hierarchy in place. So we have under four business lines, we have the delivery management function, but we also have a quality component, which lends a lot of support to people's careers and development to make sure that the quality of the work they're doing is in line with with market expectations. And on that is a really active program of professional development. We actively encourage our staff through bonuses to undertake additional certifications, to um, the ability to switch across those business lines do a couple do do some relevant certifications in a maybe a data science discipline which will allow you to move from automation into the AI ML sphere. Like I said early on, I think we just accept the fact yeah you know, it, it's easy to hire some people, put some investment into them, and then get really pissed off that they leave, right? When in actual fact, I think that's a really awesome part of a person's evolution through their career something that I think would look back on Blackbook and say, what a wonderful stepping stone. I came in, I got the support I needed when I was young and hungry. Uh, I got some certifications. I've run a whole bunch of different industries and it launched me into my next part of my career. That That's actually a positive in, in my opinion. I, I think that the structure of the business has evolved into making that a little bit more coordinated rather than it being something out of the blue. Our mid-level staff start having career plans and professional development plans. We start to get a bit of a feel for where they want to go in their career. We've even got several instances where they've gone off and started their own business and we've helped them do that. I think just that mindfulness that people aren't going to be with you forever and making sure that while they are with you, they're a productive asset of your business, but then also their career becomes something that launches them into the next phase of their, their lives. We talk a lot about remarkability in the context of marketing and driving a transformational, remarkable experience for our clients. But actually, if we can do that for our team members, A, it will drive a longer tenureship with us, and B, today's staff could become tomorrow's clients. So there's no doubt that people jump from service business to client side, and hopefully if you've had a great experience with them, then they take you with them when they go there as well. So it has many benefits. I'd love to just explore the idea of rewarding staff who get additional training, et cetera. Often the the idea of just the training is what should be enough to encourage people to want to stay 
and help them drive their growth, but you've doubled down on that and given them some sort of bonus structure. Could you just talk through that a little bit more? That's quite a novel solution. And I'd love to give the the audience an opportunity to understand that a little bit more. I'd love to say we're being very magnanimous in our approach, but there are benefits to us as well. So some of our key partners include Microsoft, AWS, and the like, and they rank partners based on the number of staff who are certified and trained in their platform and in their capabilities. In in a way, it's a bit of a, a circular ecosystem. We encourage our staff to undertake certifications in certain domains. We give them a bonus when they do that. And, and really the bonus is to recognize that they're doing things in their own time that is going to benefit us. So it's recognizing the fact that they're billable staff, that we need them to, to be doing work on client sites during the day. And if they're going to do some more stuff overnight that we're going to benefit from, then it should come out of our pocket to some extent. It's a, a nice little ecosystem. As I said, we pay them, they get more certifications. We go up the, the ladder in terms of the recognition by platform partners, and then more work comes through and so on and so forth. So, And that's a structured and organized part of the business so that as a right. new staff member, I can see that if I do these things over time. 100%. I'm getting, exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. Excellent. Do you think it's helped with retention as well? I'm not sure. Look, I, I think our industry suffers from a lot of churn regardless. I'm not sure we've really tried to understand whether it does or doesn't. I think, though, it's just the right thing to do, to be honest. You'll know over time, possibly. Just for context, you mentioned that the business was started in Queensland. And now, given 200 people, I'm assuming you have people in other states and other cities. How's the business structured in terms of remote or distributed versus in-office and in one office, in multiple offices? Because it will give me some context for the question I'm about to ask as well. Sure. So the business is really structured around those four offerings with support lines of business, but really it's around automation, data, AIML, and full stack. And there's a lead in each one of those. And those teams can be distributed across jobs. So the lead, in fact, I think all of them are actually Queensland based. And then in Melbourne and Sydney, we have what we've loosely called a general manager, which sort of sits across more at a regional perspective, but really the business is driven by those technology disciplines and the staff all work from offices you've got a completely distributed model what's your thoughts and attitudes to the hybrid world that we're potentially living in versus in office versus distributed model we're a services company right Uh, at the end of the day we deliver our solutions and services to our clients if consultants are on certain client projects we'll adopt whatever the office or work from home arrangements are of that client just to so most of your staff are deployed within the client's offices whatever that means or they work centralized within your offices and delivering the work to the client 100 percent, yeah so we've got quite a big office in queensland over set over two floors and i'm, I'm probably gonna make a, a few people will scoff at me here but i'm a little bit old school i tend to think that there are some innate benefits from having people co-located I think it helps with culture. I think it helps with problem solving. It's just, a, I think, a good thing to have people in an office and that sort of thing. So the the concept that I see of people being uh, overly nomadic in terms of the delivery of their work, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. 
but uh, I totally get why some people love it. Right? Yeah, and look, it's, you and I are going to be of the same generation-ish, and you're right, different people entering the workforce have completely different attitudes to it, and we've all learned that different models are at least now worth exploring. One of the reasons I wanted that context is really just for the, the next question, it's good to understand how the, the business is structured. From our perspective, the main goal of marketing is clearly to express the purpose and commitment for your business. That starts with communicating internally to the team, then making sure your clients understand your value proposition, and finally, to prospects. We refer to it marketing on the inside and marketing on the outside. The reason we have that sort of proposition or methodology is because the goal of effective leadership is to really clearly articulate and convey the vision of the business to the team so that they understand where you're trying to get to and their job then is to be enabled to independently work towards achieving that. So that's some context really to understand how do you ensure that your team, again, we can drill specifically into the sales part of the team or broadly, but how do you ensure that your team understands why Black Book exists and the value you're trying to create for your clients? And specifically, do, are there any routines or practices that you use to consistently remind the team why you exist? It's funny, as a company, we've been growing relatively quickly, I think, given where we've gotten to. And a lot of those rituals that I think you're alluding to sometimes get either forgotten or we're just too busy to do them. Certainly in the Queensland office, it's probably a little bit more um, mechanised uh, just because the scale and, the, and most of the management staff are there. So there are monthly uh, social get-togethers for the teams. Uh, TWE will do uh, quite routine updates and newsletters and the like. But to be honest, it isn't nearly as coordinated as it probably could be. I'm not saying it should be. I'm not sure that it should be, but it certainly could be more coordinated. I think we like to think that the work that we're able to deliver, which is generally pretty exciting, innovative and fun, to be honest, is a reflection of the company itself. So you're on a project, it's exciting, it's new, it's a black rock project. And just by that association that falls down into the brand of what BlackBook is, right? You get to work on emerging technology that's fun and you learn heaps and you grow as a professional. I think it's probably more by association than us being quite explicit with those yeah. messages. Not saying it's wrong or right. I can only share my experiences and, and the information that I get from reading and talking to other business owners. And often the comments around what helps people staff stay engaged. One is opportunity for personal growth, which you clearly articulated that is a passion for you individually and the business. The other one is making sure they understand there's a more purpose or they understand why the organization exists. And that's not to shy away from obviously turning a profit and a return for shareholders and creating value for clients, but also there's obviously more to it, as you said, it partly is the emerging technologies. And I'm sure when you dive into it, there are other parts of value and values that are important to you and your leadership team that you hope that your team will continue to espouse and reciprocate or at least mirror the activities that you want them to do. Just to go slightly different again, and I'm interested in the perspective of both the automation part of the business and the role of AI in your own business as a, a case study or an example. 
I'm often told that creating systems and processes is one of the most common answers to why a business has been successful over time. Could you tell us about some of the systems or processes that have had a significant impact on the success of Black Books and what impact that created? And as I said, I'm really interested to how, if you do, you apply your own technology or your own uh, attitude to emerging and new technologies to help you drive a better success for the business itself. This is the, the old cobbler's shoe argument, isn't it? Uh... Uh, I was worried about that when I was framing this question. So I can change it and just ask it without that context because I'm always interested in systems and processes. But I thought maybe you've got a, a good example of something you've used that is either automation that's helped you or some AI or machine learning that's helped you improve the way you guys operate. We and myself have, have largely always been in the IT professional services industry, which is at the, at the end of the day, it's relatively simple. You hire some smart people, you wrap them together, you push them on a problem and you charge a client and they'll get a great salary, there'll be some profit and you reinvest some of that and the business grows. Doing that efficiently, effectively requires very efficient and effective time management, time sheet management, invoicing. So most of our back office is pretty slick. It's run with minimum. Most of the, the mechanics of that process is automated. So that that's a reflection of where we're reading our own dog food to some extent. In terms of the AI stuff, yeah, pro probably not so much. I, I think AI is far more applicable to different industries than necessarily professional services. There's probably some stuff we do around some forecasting and the like, but really AI has a, a great home in more bigger industries, asset intensive industries and the like. So I, I think to some extent we, we've adopted automation as much as we can, given the industry constraints of, of what we do, but AI not so much. Thank you for that. I appreciate the honest response. We've spent a fair bit of time looking back and trying to identify lessons and insights you've learned from there. Just as we draw to a close, I'm interested in forward-looking. A great strategy for any business is focused on the most impactful activities. And for most businesses, that's really focusing on three or four different key initiatives that can get done within a, a given period. I'm interested to understand what are a couple of key initiatives you're currently working on and how do you make decisions as a leadership team between what is a priority today versus stuff that we'll put on the bench until we have more time to get to it? We've largely rested on our four offerings to market. We are trying to expand geographically. So we've leveraged, like many IT businesses, we've leveraged some nearshore sourcing. So we, we have an office in Ho Chi Minh City and in Manila in the Philippines that allows us to flex in, into those areas. We've recently started an office in North America and are looking to adopt a similar process into South America. So have that um, balance between more economic resources compared to resources that are housed in a more, a more expensive country. So, so geographic expansion is pretty high on our list. We're always keeping our eyes open for what might be next. And, and of course, everybody's talking about large language models and chat. We're investigating that a little bit, to be honest, like most things. And, and you might remember blockchain and, and there's a bunch of other things that have come before it. These things can get a little bit hyped and leaning in a bit too quick. 
can often end up being wasted energy. So, so we, we, we always are keeping an eye on our on the landscape and what might be coming next. And the other one is to double down on our partnerships with our platform providers. So, so AWS, Microsoft, we, we use a product called UiPath as, a, as an automation tool. So just to make sure that we're aligned as strongly as we can to those guys so that as they bring out new innovations and new things, we're on the front foot so that we are always bringing value to our clients. Is that a, a formal decision process that you and Twill go through to decide on what these activities are and to keep a, an eye on the, the future tech or is it more an interest and in, in passion so you guys chat about it as needed? Look, to be honest, it's probably driven more out of Twee's office. We, we have a small R&D team, which he uses to explore those sort of things. He, look, he hasn't led us astray yet. So everything that we've moved into has worked out quite well. And, and I think really nicely knits together in terms of the story of what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve from a staffing perspective. He probably has courage of that. And yeah, I get to contribute, but really I defer to his expertise in that one. Just to wrap this all up we've talked through again the history some of the short-term priorities and maybe if we drill into this in terms of your focus on the sales and business development of the organization what do you see some of the more strategic considerations you're thinking about over the next one to three years versus short-term priorities as i said specifically in driving the growth of the business Businesses go through evolutions or stages. They go from being a, a startup to a small business to a medium business. And at each point, there are investments that you need to make in systems, people, processes, and the like. Get our scale, we're, we're, we're starting to push into international boundaries. And I guess I'm pretty focused on working out how best we can pick up the uh, successes and the learnings and the experiences of a domestic market and transpose that into an international landscape. What we've done here isn't minuscule. It's actually quite impactful, but how do you then translate that into a bigger landscape so that people can capture the vision of what you've achieved in a small sense into a larger sense. We really think the opportunity into America is, is pretty big for us. Australian work ethic, Australian intelligence, I think is very well regarded in that North American market. And if we can transpose what success we've had here to over there, then that, that, that's probably occupying a fair bit of my time at the moment. The reality is one city is equivalent to our Australian total market. So there's no shortage of opportunity there. So Jason, thank you very much. As I said, that was my final question. So I really thank you for joining us today. And as I said, being so open and, and vulnerable and sharing some of your strengths and weaknesses. I really do look forward to watching the international expansion of Black Book. And again, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Rick.